1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 to 12. You remember our labor and toil, brothers and sisters. We worked night and day so that we might not burden any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how pure, upright, and blameless our conduct was towards you believers. As you know, we dealt with each one of you like a father with his children, urging and encouraging and, pled and pleading that you lead a life worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And this is the word of God for the people of God. What will people say of you at your funeral? Isn't that an interesting question? I find, I find funerals quite interesting, and it's one of the places when you can be sure people will say nice things, right? <laughs> now, I, I, am, I am concerned, and I don't really want an answer to this question, but have you ever been to a funeral where they have said all these nice things, and everybody is looking at each other saying, I knew this guy, I knew this guy. Are we at the right funeral? And the reason is because some people don't live a life worthy of God. But yet at the end, we try to really be gracious and we try to embrace them. I've been to funerals. I've been to a funeral where just about nobody showed up. If I tell you there was about six, maybe ten people on the front row, that was it. That was it. And nobody was sad. Now that in itself is really, really depressing, to be really honest. Every life is valuable. God loves every person. But, but we can live our life in a way that pleases God, is worthy of God, is not worthy of God. I went to another funeral, which I, was, which I was officiating at, and it was in a kind of an informal context. They asked me to come in, and then there was a time when they said, let's just open up the floor for people to share their thoughts. And it, it was going pretty well, and then there was a friend of the family who was sitting, and kind of like I was working together, we were helping work this thing out. And then there came a point in these kind of eulogies when they were sharing about the guy, when I could just sense that it was changing its tone a little bit. And this guy looked at me and said, cut it off, cut it off. This, and I, I realized, you know, that's the thing. There's a lot of things going on. But how do we live our lives? Because ultimately we can't depend on a couple of nice words at our funeral to say, you lived a good life. Paul is encouraging these people saying, lead a life that is worthy of God. St. Dominic said this, he said, death will kill a man, but the thought of death can save him or her. And that's a great thought for us to hold on to. Lead a life worthy of God. And what I want to talk about this morning is what does that look like? In 1976, Pew Research, they do a lot of surveys and research in particular in the church. Pew Research asked young people what their ambition for life was. One of the choices they gave them was fame. Do you want to be famous? There were 16 answers, and in 1976, of the 16 answers, to be famous ranked as number 15. Nobody was particularly interested in being famous in life. I want to live my life, but I'm not really sure I want to be famous. Well, they redid that recently, and it came out that 50% of young people that were surveyed said that their number one priority, 50% of them said, 
was to be famous. It was their top goal in life, to be famous. I want to be famous. I want people to see me. I want people to remember me. Now, the problem with this, and forgive me if this sounds a little bit, I keep seeing people on social media trying to do dumb stuff to get famous. If you're going to be famous, be famous for something really good. Not you accidentally took a step too far and we never saw you again, but be famous for something positive in life. You know, live a life that is worthy of God. Live a life that is worth something. But we have this concept where even today people do some of the dumbest things purely because they want to be known, they want to be recognized, they want people to get clicks, they want people to press that little like button. I was traveling back, in fact I was traveling downtown, I was going downtown about two weeks ago and I was in a, an Uber, I, I caught an Uber downtown to a meeting I was going to, it was an evening meeting and I thought I'd just catch a drive down there. And I was speaking to this driver and you could see clearly that he was kind of like a young, ambitious guy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to be really famous. And we kind of started this discussion. And, and I mean, please hear my heart on this. This is going to sound really harsh. But at one point, it kind of, the opportunity presented itself. And I said, look, man, I'm going to be honest with you. This is how life works. You're going to live your life. When you finish, you're going to die. <laughs> this is not going to go well. Please, some of you, just give me some grace as I share this. <laughs> They're going to put you in the ground, throw gravel on you, and nobody's going to remember you. And the guy like, <laughs> look at the road. Keep your eyes on the road. We don't want to go there yet. You've still got a big life ahead of you. <laughs> but the point I was trying to make is that, is that really what you want to live for? Do you really think that all you want to do is become just another name somewhere? I think about fame and I think about people that are known in the world. There are people that, like, like and this is me being honest, in, in my life I, I, I look back in my family tree, my family lineage. I don't know half the people that went before me. I don't know where my grandmother is buried. Now you think that's insensitive? It's the reality of the world in which we live. But this is what we do. We want the world to click the like button. We want the world to click the, this is my Instagram post. I got 3,000 likes. I got 5,000 likes on Facebook. Everybody looked at my stuff. Do you know what we really need in life? Is we need one person to click that like button. That's Jesus. And it sounds really harsh. And it sounds almost like, like, like I understand that this can be quite a harsh thing to understand. The truth is many fear, not death itself, but many things that we fear is actually the concept that we will, in fact, be forgotten forever. Death, we get to be with Jesus. But will people truly, truly remember us? And Paul writes into this concept of death and he says, You know, we dealt with you like a father with his children. Understand the wording over here. This is not like a father with his children. Within the context, culturally speaking, it was like, hey, this is my child. I love my child. What can I do to make my child? This is a very positive, loving, comforting language. Saying, I came to you in this church. I wanted to encourage you. I pleaded with you. But this is what I want you to do. You to do. I want you to live a life worthy of God. Not a life worthy of Caesar. Not a life worthy of this world. Not a life worthy of what the the world tells us we should live, but a life that is worthy of God. I wrote this down in my notes. We need to live here 
like we belong there. We need to live here like we belong there. So the Thessalonians are being persecuted for proclaiming Jesus is Lord. But think about that for a second. They, they don't like the fact that the Thessalonians are saying Jesus is Lord because they want them to say Caesar is Lord because when you say Jesus is Lord, your life changes. The way you live your life changes based upon whether Caesar is Lord or Jesus is Lord. How you live your life, the things that you prioritize in your life, everything about your life changes. If you have this concept of lordship established, everything will change. Who you live for, how you will live that life. Here's the thing. When Caesar is Lord of your life, you fight for Caesar. When Jesus is Lord of your life, you are prepared to die for Jesus. The one who is Lord in our life will determine who we live for, but it will also determine who we are prepared to die for. We live in the here as if we understand and know clearly that we are from there. Here living versus there living. Are we seeking the fame of this world? Are we seeking the applause of this world, the accomplishments of this world? Well, you know, here's the thing. You can, and we can do great things, and we should contribute in a positive way to this world, but this world has a different set of rules. We, we, we jumped on the scripture a couple of weeks ago. We're speaking the context of finance, but I want to revisit the scripture in Matthew chapter 6 because the principles are true for us even in the way we invest into our lives. Do not store up for yourself treasure on earth. Can we live our lives in such a way that what is only important to us is what happens here on earth? Because when we do that, moth and rust consumes, thieves break in and steal. I was, I, maybe I think about some of these things too much, but that's, that's what happens, okay? <laughs> Forgive me. How many people out there have got some of the most revolutionary inventions in the world and you've never heard of them before? Think about it. So, so this, is, this is going to kind of bug you for a while, so I'm going to do this, think about this. I don't know, and maybe you know, who invented the traffic light? Anybody? Anybody know? Who invented the traffic light? We don't know? Ford? I'll go with this. In fact, you can tell me anything, I'm going to believe you. But, but here's my point. How many traffic lights did you drive through today to get to church? How many traffic lights will you drive through this week? Well, hopefully not drive through. You'll stop when it's red, okay? You want to go through, you'll stop when it's red. When it's green, you'll go. Somewhere along the line, some guy said, hey, I invented the traffic light. Nobody knows who it is today. But guess what? It has changed our lives and the way we do life and the way we commute and everything else. Is that a bad thing? It's a great thing. But if you really think by inventing the traffic light, your name will be kind of immortalized forever. I've got news for you. You can store up and we can invest in the things in this earth. But Matthew says we should, in, not Matthew, Jesus' words, yeah, says we need to actually invest in something somewhere else. Invest. We live here like we belong there. We invest in things here because things that have eternal value there. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust consume. There are certain things in this world 
that have eternal value. And that's what it means to live a life worthy of God. We are going to invest in the things that truly matter. Here living will give you temporary fading rewards, whereas their living will give you eternal rewards. I wrote this down. In fact, I wrote a few things down. Would you rather be remembered in this world and forgotten in the next? Or forgotten in this world and remembered eternally by your Father in heaven in the next? Do you know why we read out the names of the saints? Because they will be remembered forever. When we're not here and nobody else remembers their names. Do you know who will remember? Their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. They will never, ever, ever be forgotten. Their names, Jesus has their names. God has their names. God doesn't go, oh, I'm having a bad day. What's that name again? He knows every single one of their names. And one day when we get to heaven, we will be reunited with them. Amen? But we need to, while we're on this earth, live in such a way, understanding that here living is about understanding that we belong there. Very important for us to take note of. Billy Graham was asked by a reporter once. It was at the height of his ministry and his career and what he, all his preaching. I think he was in Europe at the time. He said, Mr. Graham, who do you think is the greatest Christian in the world today? And Billy Graham said this, You wouldn't know them because they are living out in some jungle in Africa in complete obscurity you wouldn't even know their names. Let me draw things to a close. I've got one or two other things I can say, but I, wanna, I want us to stop at this point and just think about this for a second. How would our lives change if everything we did was about understanding that here living is about belonging there? If living in this world and understanding this world was all about a love for Jesus, a passion for Jesus, knowing that everything we do flows out of Jesus as Lord, I love Jesus, to love God and to love people, how would that change the way we live? How would our church or communities change? If we understood that everything we did flowed from that understanding that we have received love from God, and the love that has been given to us flows from us and flows out of us. How does the church change? How does our community change? How do all of our communities change? One of the saddest things to think about is, as you live in a, we live in a community, there are so many churches, but why is there so much hatred? Do you understand what I'm saying? And I'm not saying bad church, good church. I'm saying if, if truly we are living a life that is worthy of God and truly we are all together in our different churches coming together to love God and to love people and to serve the community and to love the people and to reach the lost and to find the orphan and the widow and to love them and the homeless and put them in homes. Why is there so much hatred in the world? But how does the world change when just a few people stop and say, I will allow the love of God in me to flow through me. I choose to live not as if this is my home. I choose to live as if that is my home. How does the world change? And maybe a question that we can all ask and we need to think about. I think we do think about these things. We don't really need to ask the question. It is kind of happens. 
What will people say of you at your funeral? How will you be remembered? I recently read a book by an author called Ken Shigematsu. It's called Survival Guide for the Soul, and he speaks about this. And he speaks about this whole concept how we have what we call resume virtues. A resume virtue is when we list all the things we have accomplished. And it's, 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 it's kind of like, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. But then he compares that with almost eulogy virtues where there are many things we might have done that might look good on our resume, but there are some things that really look a lot better when spoken at our funeral. He was a great father. You don't put that on your resume, do you? Well, you can try. Maybe, maybe I should, you know, ministers should maybe do that. Always looked after the poor. Took time every week to go feed the hungry in the city. Served in church. I recently, or well, maybe a year or two back, I, I was at a memorial service for somebody who had passed away during COVID. And they said, what we remember about this man is that he would stand at the door with a student ministry and he would remember every single one of their names. And when it was their birthday, he would send them a personalized message, every single one of them. You don't put that on your resume. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Great Divorce, shares the story that kind of sums it up. There's a man and he's been given a tour of heaven. And as he's been given a tour of heaven, he says, uh, who is this? Is it? I whispered to my guide and I'll just read off as C.S. Lewis writes it. Not at all. He thought it was somebody famous. And the guide says, no, not at all, said he. It's someone you'll never have heard of. Her name on earth was Sarah Smith. She lived at Golders Green. She seems to be, well, a person of particular importance. Yes, she's one of the great ones. You've heard that fame in this country and fame on earth are two quite different things. And who are all these young men and women on each side? They are her sons and daughters. She must have had a very large family, sir. Every young man or boy that met her became her son, even if it was only the boy that brought the meat to her back door. Every girl that met her was her daughter. He says, isn't that a bit hard on their own parents? And says, no, there are those that steal other people's children, but her mother would. Motherhood was of a different kind. Those on whom it fell went back to their natural parents, loving them more. And now the abundance of life she has in Christ from the Father flows over into them. There are many things we'll do in this world, but there are some things that only truly have eternal significance. Let us live our lives here like we belong there.